Hello, and welcome to the King James Gossip, Fansided's Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. I'm Doug Patrick, and on the other line is Joe Brett. How you doing, Joe? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, too. Um, Joe and I are contributors on uh, King James Gospel. Yeah, we. I've been contributing that for six months or so now. Yeah, and I actually just started writing there this July, so I'm pretty new to it. Um, but we're going to be your new co-host of the podcast, and uh, we're super pumped about it. Yeah, so the two latest signings that the Cavs have um, recently signed in the last few weeks was Sam Decker and David Nwaba, and we're going to start off talking about that. Joe, what type of role do you think is going to play? Yeah, so I think um, he's going to play a lot like Tony Allen used to play in Memphis. He's going to be a positive defender on the defensive side of the ball, defending the best um, perimeter player out there, whether it be the point guard or the shooting guard, or even maybe a small forward if that small forward is smaller. He's six foot four and he has a seven foot wingspan. So, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think I think there's tons of upside with Noaba's defensive quality. Plus, I mean, on a team that was just so bad defensively last year. Um, you know, I think it only helps to serve like a new kind of culture. Um, and I, I really think the team's kind of starting to become like a good defensive team, at least just, you know, names wise. Yeah. One of the stories that I'm recently writing about for Ken James gospel is specifically about, um, a lineup that I think is going to do pretty well with Colin Sexton, the point guard, David Nwaba, the shooting guard, um, Jetty Osman at the three, and then, Larry Nance at the four or five, depending on who the other person in the lineup is going to be. And I think that lineup, in reality, could be one of the best defensive lineups in the league within the next three or four years. Oh, I, I think so, too. Um, you know, I, it really does depend just on how well uh, Chetty Osmond shoots and Colin Sexton shoots. I think I think if they come out shooting, I, I mean, I think Osmond's got a great chance to be a good shooter. I mean, he was, uh, what, in the, was he in the 40% uh this past season, yeah, um, he, he was near there at least. Uh, and I mean, Colin Sexton didn't look like too bad of a shooter in summer league either. I mean, that's been one of the things that people have sort of harped on with him is that he isn't a shooter; he's more of a slasher, uh, more like akin to De'Aaron Fox. Um, but I mean, I think if the, if those guys can shoot, Nwaba's going to be able to get a lot more minutes than um, he was able to in Chicago, and like he'll actually be able to fit in and kind of find himself on offense for a little bit. I think. Yeah, I think when you have shooters, it makes a player like him a lot easier to fit on the offensive side of the ball because... Oh, he, he could be Andre Roberson. Yeah, exactly. And although that is an issue in Oklahoma, it also means that that team is one of the best defensive teams in the league. With oh, and I mean, they, I agree. And I, I think they, they perform a lot better with Andre Roberson, which is you know, kind of obvious just by their, you know, their plummet in the playoffs. I mean, they lost to the Utah Jazz, and Jazz are a good defensive team, but, I mean, the only guy that the that uh, was getting through them was, you know, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, Joe Ingles had a big game here or there, but without Andre Roberson, they just fell apart defensively. I mean, Nwaba could be a glue guy on the defensive side. Yeah, I think also um, his ability to switch onto twos, um, twos, ones, and almost threes, he that is really important in the way that NBA teams play their defenses today. You saw it for the last um, two or three years when we started to change our defensive lineups against Golden State in the finals. We started to switch more so that we could get out to shooters before they... Obviously, you have great shooters in Golden State with um, Steph Curry and 
Clay Thompson. Oh, so it's it's all about having like six six to six ten dudes on your roster who can switch everything. And yeah. like Nuaba's a little undersized for that, but like you said, his wingspan. I mean that that'll be one thing that could help him stay in the league for a little bit longer. Could help him get a lot more minutes than than uh, if he was a little bit you know naturally shorter and in, in every sort of capacity and, and anemone. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but what, like, where do you where do you think he's gonna go on the offensive side? I I I feel like whenever I watched Nuaba on the Chicago Bulls, um, he was you know he was hitting threes, and uh, that doesn't happen often. But I don't know why it seemed like every uh, time I tuned in, he was hitting he had, he hit one, and I feel like my entire idea of him is skewed. And then I go on and look at like his three point percentage, and it's thirty five percent. I'm like maybe he actually is good, and then I see that he, you know he's He's attempting 0.7 per game, which isn't necessarily <laughs> letting it fly at all. Yeah, I think he he's shown that he can be a good cutter. Um, he's had 1.35 points per possession on those plays last year. And so I think he can, that's how he can fit. Because when you have shooters, you can back you can back your cut really easily because there's nobody in the paint because you're, um, you're powerful when you center a shooting. So... I think that's one way he can fit offensively. And then, obviously, anything he does offensively is is purely a plus at that point because he's out there defending the best player. So, Yeah, and that makes sense. I, I mean, and you, uh, you were telling me earlier that you were actually writing about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess if you were to give a comp, who would you, who'd you compare him to? Um, yeah, I think, I think it sounds crazy, but I honestly do think he could be like Tony Allen that first-team yeah. defensive player, maybe second-team defensive player. I think he... There there aren't many there aren't many players in the league like him that pure so, care purely so much about the defensive end compared to the offensive end. A lot of players, especially with how AAU happens um, with younger players today, care about getting buckets. And although he probably cares about that, it shows that he knows his role and he knows that he's in this league because he can play defense. And so I think having a player like Tony Allen in the league for so long, it it shows that he can be in the league. And I think that's one of the issues that he's going to have. People saying you can't be in the league if you can't shoot threes, you can't be in the league if you can't get buckets. So I think that's, he could be like, yeah, but Tony Allen did. So I can do that too. Um, yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, do you think he ever will develop at all offensively? Like, if you were to guess, what's the offensive ceiling for David Nwaba? Yeah, so I think he, I think he should stop focusing on trying to hit a three, because although yes, there are people that become shooters in the league, I don't necessarily think his, I don't think it would necessarily be to his best interest to become a shooter, because then he's what? seen as like an Avery Bradley type. I think if he interesting. I think if he gets better as a playmaker, then he would be much, he would be much more reliable as an offensive player because you would, can shoot would, and you can be bad shooting. So, would you worry at all though that he would just become like, I don't know, Rajan Rondo light? You know, like I, I don't know that that's the one thing I worry about a guy his size. I mean, granted, we talk like I think he could be as good of or even better defender than Rondo just due to his you know length, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's always one thing I worry about about guys in that sort of, you know, athletic, defensive, uh, playmaker, point guard mold is 
as they turn into that sort of dirty word of, you know, Rondo-esque. So yeah. what, what, what do you think about that? I think, although I generally don't see an issue with that, I obviously think, like, you can defend Rondo pretty easily just, but just by playing off of him. But I think he... I don't think he's ever going to get to that level because obviously Rondo was such a great playmaker. Um, but I think... I think that's where he should go um, in the Marcus Smart type role rather than trying to become a shooter because I think I think he could easily become one of the type of players who shoots too much and okay. that is the type of person that we don't necessarily want on the Cavs so that's fair I, and I I think that's a that'd be a good place to stop with the Nwaba talk to move on yeah. with Decker is that you know like um we we hope he's uh, we hope he's a Marcus Smart and not a Rajon Rondo, <laughs> at least <laughs> exactly. at least not 20, 2018 Rondo. Yeah, exactly. Um, but cool. So let's move on to uh, let's move on to talking about Sam Decker. Mm-hmm. So uh, one thing that both like me and you talked about a little bit before we started this podcast is just like we don't really know Sam Decker. He's a he's a name that's super familiar. Um, I think even though he's only been in the league for three years. Uh, Played it, but I I was talking to Joe and saying that like you know when he was in Houston I always felt like he looked like a player who could give you um, lots of energetic minutes. Um, you know he he played about eighteen a game there in that uh, in that one season that he actually played there. Um, didn't score a ton, didn't rebound it to like a ton. I think he was only scoring around like six points a game and only getting about three or four rebounds. Um, you know he but he, but he came in he he played and he was always good on. Uh, Cutting as well, kind of like Nawaba. Yeah. Um, he tries to shoot the three as well, but uh, last season he was particularly bad at it. I think <sighs> yes. he shot only like what was it, sixteen point seven percent? I think. Yeah, 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 sixteen point seven. I think. And then, but the year before, you know, he, I think he was in the thirties. He was like thirty three. You know, it was a uh, not great, but for a rookie coming in, that's you know. But it's, I, I don't know how much expectations there really were on him to hit the three, but he wasn't doing bad at it in Houston. He was. He was in Houston. Also, so he's going to be cool That's fair. to shoot the three. I think one of the interesting things is that um, I was looking and in when he played at Wisconsin, he only shot 30, 34.8% from three um, in Wisconsin. And so that his, his best year shooting the three was, um, yeah, his best year was his rookie year when he shot 39.1. So, yeah. He's never really shown that he is a great shooter, even though lots of people think of that because he was in Houston. And so, That's fair. But if you, if you put him in a role in which he's not going to shoot, then I think he's, he's clearly got a good body. He's 6'9", 230. So I think he can, he can bang around in there, get some rebounds, get some dunks for you. Just, yeah. just fill I, um... minutes until Kevin Love gets back in. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I mean, that's a totally fair role for him. I mean, so one thing that has kind of confused me um, is it seems like a lot of people are just assuming Sam Decker is going to be playing the three, uh, like a, be a small forward for the Cavs. And I don't know. I've always just thought of him as a power forward, like a a quick power forward. And I like even um, Larry Nance, I think, text or uh, tweeted something that was along the lines of. I hope you're ready to get out on the wing and run. And like, I don't know if I want Sam Decker on the wing so much as I want him, you know, yeah, hanging out 
on the corner like he did in Houston, ready to launch threes if he has to. And I guess this is where I disagree with you. Is I'm fine with Sam Decker launching threes because he showed he could hit them in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fine with him shooting threes and having him the giving him the sort of opportunity to create off of kickouts. So, you know, being able to attack a closeout, especially if he's threatening with that three-point shot, because I think Sam Decker is athletic enough to get to the rim. And I, I think giving him more minutes to get into um, a rhythm, he only got 12 in uh, in L.A. with the Clippers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, giving him, you know, 18, 20 minutes a game, I think letting him get into a groove at that four spot when Love isn't in yeah. uh, could be just a really nice spot to see if he can become a playmaker. I mean, they pretty much signed him just to take a shot on him. You know, yeah. they, they use that exception money from Irving. They're not yeah. pay, They're pretty much paying him nothing. So yeah. I, I just say I just say why not just give the dude twenty minutes for the first for first thirty games. Yeah. If he's if he's nothing, then whatever. Yeah, and I think um, one of the interesting things about him is that he he can do that. Like there's no there's no expectations really, because yeah, like we forget. I think as Cavaliers fans, we forget that this team isn't this team isn't going to be the best in the East anymore. Like LeBron no. left, and so I think we people come into the Cavs, especially like obviously the last few weeks, people come in and you think, oh, he can't play against Golden State. He doesn't have to play against Golden State anymore. No, he's going to be no, playing s- against the Mavericks. Like if, if <laughs> that's Sam the Decker, important game for Sam Decker. <laughs> exactly. If Sam Decker can be a player who's reliable against bottom feeders on both conferences, that's all you need him to be. Like. Mm-hmm. So long as Sam Decker plays consistent minutes against the Magic, yeah. you know, like exactly. that's all you need him to be. You need yeah. Sam Decker to be, stay in front of Aaron Gordon and make and get like people like Vuvicic out of the mm-hmm. paint. Like yeah. that's what you need him to do. Yeah. Um, so, I, and I think he's capable of that. I mean, he's still super young. I know uh, I was reading today that he had like a couple problems with just his. Uh, his motivation for playing basketball, kind of that Jeff Green virus. Um, and I think, and it seems like this year, though, he's excited about coming back. I mean, Jeff Green had a great year here, too, and there seemed like motivation on that side of the ball. Granted, it's a totally different situation, but, I mean, it's shown that Cleveland can be a place that guys who have had that question around them can come and play a bigger role and show that they're reliable and worthy of another contract. Yeah, and I think also... Um having Ty Lue here, Ty Lue has obviously gone to the ringer as a player and a coach. I think he's, although there may be questions about his actual um, coaching ability and his actual <laughs> coaching on the court itself and his plays that he's made and rotations and such, I think he's one of the better motivators in the league um, on on terms with Steve Kerr and how they had all their motivation issues. I think that shouldn't necessarily be an issue. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I, I think I think this could be a great situation for Decker. Um, but like I said, when I watched him in Houston, he he seemed he seemed interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was surprised that Houston gave him up. Honestly, uh, I think he's going to play a bigger role with the Clippers, especially when Blake went away. But it just never materialized. Mm-hmm. So that um, seemed was I think, strange, though. That, yeah, I mean, I don't think you can base anything <laughs> off of anything logical off of that team. Yeah, um, but yeah, so I mean, I think I'm. I was just excited to see that name attached to the Cavs, even though I I don't necessarily I'm not necessarily the hugest Sam Decker fan. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there, and there's many reasons to feel that way. Uh, you can just check an old Twitter controversy. But um, so I think I, I think the is there anything else you want to say about Sam Decker? No, I think I'm okay. Okay, well, I think the last thing we can do is just kind of think up some imaginary lineups that might go along with these two new signings, especially with the whole team. Um, one thing I floated on, I think you also talked a little bit about in um, your writing today, was just uh, like a super defensive lineup um, that can include guys like Sexton, Osmond, Nuaba, Nance Jr., and, um, you know, n- not necessarily the most defensive-minded guy, but love just for the offensive versatility. Yeah. Um, you know, having a five like that out there is could be a lockdown lineup. Like I, I really like that lineup against yeah. most of the Eastern teams. Like I just think, I, I think that's strong. And I mean, I think you can switch out Nuaba for Decker, mm-hmm. and that plays almost the same kind of role. Granted, I don't think Decker is necessarily on the level of Nuaba, mm-hmm. um, but he's long, he's strong. You know, he's athletic. Mm-hmm. He, he can keep up. I think. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think um, I like that general lineup. I, I, I'm going to be really interested to see how Nance and Love play together this year. Yeah. Because I think that's going to be really key for us. Um, I generally think that we're going to start moving away from Tristan, if not in a trade because his contract is so big that we can't trade him. But I think we're going to start moving away from him. I'll be surprised, honestly. Um, might be a hot take, but I'll be surprised if he's starting by the end of the year. Um, do you think? Uh, do you think someone like Decker would help take minutes away from Tristan? Yes, because I think even though even though Tristan's transformed into a center of the last three or four years um, since LeBron got back, um, there's I personally think there's quite a few people in the Cavs organization that still see Tristan as a power forward. Sure, and so. I think um I think his minutes being six foot nine or um Decker being six foot nine could take away from some of those so called power forward minutes that Tristan gets instead of his regular center minutes. That is just I think that's so funny that you mentioned that because it's always so funny to remember that Tristan Thompson is six nine. Like he is as tall as yeah. Larry Nance Jr. and Sam Decker and I think um, especially on the defensive side, like they just seem a lot more able to hang around with actual wings. I mean, I like it when Thompson comes out and plays on the perimeter because he looks able to, but mm-hmm. then when you look at other guys the same size, it's almost kind of lame watching Thompson just work his like yeah. his butt off making it happen out there on the perimeter while dude like Nance Jr. just has a way better time doing it. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I think, I think also you can throw in Hood um, for... Osman and Nwaba also because obviously if you want more offense in that lineup um, I think I think I really like this uh, Cavaliers team because we have a lot of exchangeable pieces so um, although I think we might need to go out and get a different um, backup point guard if I think personally we might trade away George Hill if we can um, yeah I mean I would like that I, I was reading and I guess I guess maybe uh, we should just start going under the next section. Do you think we're going to make the playoffs generally? Um, I mean, so in my heart of hearts, I, I do, I really do. I just I think they match up against teams, and I'm writing about this right now. Uh, 
actually a guy um i'm gonna find his name but a vegas odds maker uh recently just kind of put out a little prediction tweet about um nba season wins and he had the Cavs at 30.5 um which i think is so low because and, and it's making me question myself but i mean yeah to answer your question will they make the playoffs I, I do think so. I, I think they'd stack up against teams like Charlotte, um, Detroit, even with Blake Griffin, and we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even teams like the Wizards and the Heat. I mean, I just think all those teams are 38 to 44 win teams, even yeah. maybe even a little bit higher on the win yeah. column. And yeah. I just think they match up with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think they're as good as the teams that win that amount of games. And I, I think that's how you have to value it before the season starts. You can't go off chemistry. You can't go off rookies, uh, like potential ceilings. I think you just have to go off what you saw last year with the, with the players that were actually in place versus the players that we also have had in place. You know, I mean, I think I'm not so excited about guys like J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver coming back, but in the East, they're going to be some of the best three point shooters out there. I mean, I I just think relative to, like you said, thinking about them as having to stack up against the Warriors versus having to just compete in the East are two totally different mindsets to be having. And I think people are having a hard time sobering themselves to realize that this Cavs team is just not going to be playing against the Warriors anymore. Yeah, I think also um, we forget that the East lost so much talent this offseason and Kevin I Love. I think so too. That's yes. That's yeah, exactly Kevin what Love I'm is, also. Uh, Kevin what, Love go ahead. Gonna, yeah, Kevin Love is going to be one of the top five, top ten best players in the East next year, and so I think generally, just basketball in general, if you have the best guy on the floor, you're going to probably win that game, and so as we saw with LeBron, and so I think that's a super important thing to have, and. I think honestly, whether it come it comes down to whether or not the Cavs want to compete. If they don't want to compete and they want to get their pick from the Lakers, um, we can we can go and trade off all the assets that we got with LeBron. So we can go off and trade Corver, co- trade J. R. Smith, trade George Hill, see if we can trade Tristan. And so I think basically selling of spare parts. And I think. Um, I think if we can do that, we might, because I think it's a opportunity that um, you can't necessarily look bad on. You either take them and you take and you say, okay, well, you're gonna your contract is gonna run out in 2020, and we're not gonna get anything from you. We're gonna get two years of competitive basketball, or you can say, I'm gonna trade you for a pick package you together, send you off to a contender like Houston, which one of our contributors recently write, uh, wrote an article about, um, or we could or we could not get anything back from you. And I think um, as a fan, I would personally much rather see Kyle Korver or J.R. Smith competing for a title in their last few years in the NBA. Yeah, I I mean one thing I was and just uh, I just want to give credit to Jeff Sherman. He's the Vegas odds maker I referenced uh, earlier. But yeah, I mean one thing that I was also thinking about is you're, you're talking about not wanting to necessarily sell off 
these players, these veterans, and just for picks and spare parts and things like that, just to make the rebuilding process a little bit quicker, it, it would be a little more fruitful to watch the team sort of create a culture of winning or at least competitive basketball. Um, the one thing that does scare me about that, though, is um, they do only get their pick if uh, if they land yep. um, within the top ten. So I'm worried that they're going to have a it's season the Lakers, like the right? New York Knicks. I thought it was between the Hawks, but you oh, you could be right. Yeah, that might be um, right, actually. I, I think it, I think it's the Hawks, but uh, yeah, I mean, I just it think the, it was the um, trade last year that's with the Lakers. But yes, 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 yes. Um, but if they, I I really am sort of worried that they're going to have a Knicks like season um, from last year, which the Knicks got out of the gate. Uh, I was reading earlier today just for something that I was writing. Um, that for the first 30 games, their their role players really were kind of performing above what everyone expected them to. Chris they had a pretty good record going well. into it. I I believe uh, at one point they were um, 24 and like 36 um, when Porzingis went down. Yep. And then they only won five more games after wow. the, after Porzingis went down. I don't think I um, realized it was that bad. Yeah, they only won five more games post. Porzingis, which is crazy. And that was um, a lot of Michael Beasley 20, 30 point games in there. <laughs> oh, they got tank artist Emmanuel Moutier in oh, a yeah. deal. Um, and it's it's just crazy. I mean, they literally sought out to acquire the worst plus minus point guard in the league at the time. Like, it's it was just so obvious what they were doing. Um, and it's a, it was a race to the bottom as soon as Porzingis got hurt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I recently published an article about Kevin Love's, like, just being injury prone throughout his career, even though we don't necessarily think about it so much. And I, I'm worried that they're going to have a, a Knicks like season where love goes down um, the way Porzingis did. We realize we need that one to 10 pick and uh, we just shoot for the bottom. Um, you know, especially like you said, selling off parts like Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith, just knowing that if we don't have love in there, are we necessarily going to, make a run for that mm. eight or seven seed and how worth it is it to get swept by a team like Boston or Toronto at that point. Yeah. I think it will be also interesting to see the um, morale of the team going in and if we are losing games. Because obviously you have players like George Hill, Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith that came here to play with LeBron and to compete in the finals every year. And now they're on a team that won't even win 50 games. And oh so, yeah, I it's going to be interesting, especially it could get about bleak. Smith. Yeah, <laughs> it could get. I, I was he was on my mind when I said that. It could get bleak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there could be uh be some more soup on the walls. Oh yes. Uh, and on the <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah, I remember I looked that up, and the person that came up was like, "What kind of soup did Jr. Smith throw?" It was so funny. <laughs> it was that, an that important was question. Something that was like, <laughs> it was a real news story. Yeah. Um, Awesome. So uh, let's uh, let's move on to the second point, which I think will kind of be related to whether or not they make the playoffs. But that's, um, do you think Kevin Love is going to look like he did in Minnesota at all? And I don't know if this necessarily means he's going to be an MVP candidate. That's not what I mean when I ask that. But is he going to be an above twenty point scorer and still, you know, get above ten rebounds? Is he going to shoot around forty percent from three? Um, is he going to look? like a ball-dominant first option for, do you think? Um, I think he can. It depends on the, it depends on the plays that um, Ty Lue makes up. And 
one of the interesting things that I um, especially notice when I see people talking about Minnesota versus Cleveland, Kevin Love, sure. is his assists in Minnesota. And I think the reason I talk about that is because it shows how much of the ball was going through him compared to the ball going through him in Cleveland. So, like, in 2013, 2014, he averaged four assists a game. Four and yeah, a half, four, I, four. So, I think yeah. that's going to be interesting to see. And I think that's a stat that I'll keep in mind a lot while I'm watching games. And, and I mean, I even think just the fact that the way the game's going with, uh, you know, big guys like DeMarcus Cousins, AD, uh, Jokic especially that there's just a lot more um, interest in letting big guys pass than there was even in 2013 and 2014, and certainly more than, uh, I think, like, when he first came into the league around 08. Mm-hmm. Um, I think big guys a lot of times were more meant to be inside around then, although they were starting to get out of the paint too. But, um, yeah, I, I just think the whole way the league's going will even increase uh, more opportunities for him to be passing. And, and I think you could definitely see that assist number balloon again like it did in 13-14. We also talked about earlier was just, uh, you know, Love is an elbow player. That's where he was most effective in Minnesota. Um, There he got about eight per game, while with the Cavs, he's only getting around two. You know, and I I think this is a big reason why he's not Minnesota Love anymore and why the dream of Minnesota Love is coming back because he's going to get an opportunity to get those um, elbow touches. Yeah, I think also um, it's going to be interesting to see him and how he... um works with Colin Sexton. The and the other stat that I was um gonna talk about. The yeah. for the free throw attempts. So in Cleveland yes. his highest is five. Four point nine exactly. Um and his highest in Minnesota was eight point four. That's a significant difference. And it Oh that's shows, almost double, yeah. Yeah. It shows exactly how aggressive he's being in the paint. And I think we saw it a lot more in the last two years than we did in the previous two years in Cleveland and um, about like how much he got the ball in the paint and how much he demanded it and there was a lot of talk about that the first year Um, yeah and so I think if he gets the ball and demands it I want his free throw attempts to be above six if his free throw attempts are above six and his assists are above three then I think that counts as Minnesota loves back yeah and, I mean, I, he's going to be a lot more in the paint this year than he ever was in the last four years. And he's going to be a lot more away from the corner three than he's ever been in the last four years, too. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a totally different... He, like, if you could put, um, like, a heat tracker on the court and where it was most red was where he will be on the court, it's going to be way more on the elbows this mm-hmm. year. And it's going to be a lot, I hope, a lot colder in the corner threes, even working with Colin Sexton. Yeah. I think you've got to let Love be that secondary playmaker in case things break down throughout mm-hmm. the entire year. I, I hope we see a ton of things going through him. Um, you know, I, I really, really hope he's just a big star player to just really warrant this yeah. $120 million four-year extension that they gave him and to really, like, kind of usher in a new era in Cleveland that gets fans excited to be building around Kevin Love. Like, I, I think that can be a happy thing that's happening instead of something that um, my first reaction to seeing the signing was kind of like, ugh, like welcome to middle tier Eastern purgatory. But Mm -hmm. I think, I think there can be a scenario where these, where Kevin Love stays for all four years. And for the first two, he makes the Cavs a really interesting fifth, sixth seed that, you know, if Sexton develops, 
can push teams like the Sixers um, and Toronto, especially who knows what's going to happen with Kawhi Leonard there. But that's a whole different topic for a whole different podcast. Um, so, yeah. I, anything else we should talk about with love? Yeah. One of the things that I was just thinking about is that there's this idea that we should rebuild. And yeah. I think a part of us, yes, we should rebuild. But then part of me is thinking, I think we might have the pieces to actually be already in a rebuild. So we have Colin Sexton, we have Jetty Osman, Rodney Hood, Ante Zizic, if he turns out to be um, as good as he was in Summer League. Um, yeah, Nance Jr. is only yeah. 26, I think. Yeah, and so I think... Decker's 23 or 24, I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a young team. We're a very young team, and I think... All of a sudden, too. Sorry to keep interrupting you, but yeah, just oh. all of a sudden, we're, we're a young team. Yeah, and I think if if we can make some good moves, we don't necessarily have to have that next high pick. And so I think because what are we what are we looking for? If if love is going to be here for four years, we we if we want to um, make his last year a playoff push or a championship push, even what are we looking? We're looking for development in the next four years, and I think the. Um, the team we have now is going to do that way more than a rookie next year. And so yeah. I think it's going to be interesting because I honestly think that Colin Sexton is going to be really good in this league. And I think he might even alone be the type of player that if you have on his team, you can't rebuild solely because he's so good, he wins games. Obviously, I don't think he's going to do that this year. But within the next two, I think he's going to be that player. And so yeah. I think if you're going to rebuild and you're going to get one more high draft pick before this thing actually gets started, it's going to be next. It's going to be this year. We have to, if we're going to rebuild, we have to completely demolish the floor this year, get another high pick, then use that pick and then start actually um, rebuilding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think... Uh... I think a lot of this could hinge on Colin Sexton, like you're saying. You're, you're really excited about him in uh, in like two years, mm-hmm. um, and I think it'll be a big, you know, difference just between whether he turns out like Darren Fox did this rookie year or someone like Donovan Mitchell. Um, hopefully, you know, I think realistically it could be something in between um, is what you should hope for. Uh, not that Darren Fox was bad by any means, but mm-hmm. um, you'd hope someone like Colin Sexton on the Cavs with Kevin Love instead of a Sacramento roster might have yeah. a little bit yeah. <laughs> might have a little Not bit of a himself. exactly might have a little bit of a better chance of um, winning some games mm-hmm. and getting some space for some three-pointers yeah. um, just to kind of develop that shot which Dan Fox just wasn't necessarily able to do in this uh, this first year um, but yeah so just because uh, I'm already talking about young guys we're both kind of talking about young guys um, let's move on to the next question which is just who do you think breaks out this year on the Cavs? I, I think uh, I think the big names in that category are guys like uh, Chetty Osman. Uh, I like to call him Chetty, Chetty Bang Bang. And uh, there's Rodney Hood, I think, is a big name in this sort of could he break out, even though he's not even signed yet to the Cavs. I, I hope it's cool that we talk about him. <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, Antti Zizic is on that list. Larry Nance mm-hmm. Jr. is on that list. I guess you could put Sam Decker on that list. I guess you could put David Nwaba on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, but... We already talked about those guys, so who do you think is going to break out? Um, so I think it might not as be as a breakout as a breakout can be, like um, Donovan Mitchell type, but I think 
Jetty Osman is going to be really good this year. And I think I do too. Be, he's going to be the um, efficient type player that we need. He's going to be the guy who is playing really hard defensively, playmaking on the offensive end as well as hitting that three. In summer league, he looked really good and really comfortable pulling up that little, um, that little pick and roll three. Um, yeah, and I'd never seen that from him before, even in the, um, even in the Euro competitions he's played in. That was completely different. I was super surprised, and I think um, I'm pretty sure he's been working with Kyle Korver to um, change his shot a little bit. And although he didn't necessarily make a great percentage in summer league, I think that was. I think that shows what he can be. And so I think he's going to be really good this year. Man, I'm so excited for Chetty. Like, I I really liked him this rookie year for no real reason other than the fact that, like, <laughs> he, tried he just kind of, like, he he just looked cool playing basketball for some reason to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, especially when um, he kind of went on that roll in February when – uh, during the regular season when he had that kind of breakout game and entered the starting lineup just because guys like uh, George Hill, Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson weren't here yet. Mm-hmm. Lou put him in the lineup in and the he... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he had a great game against them and then Lou just kind of let it ride. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Chetty could become a really, really consistent three-point shooter. I think that's where he's going to make his money. I think if he can become... A true three and D, mm-hmm. he he's gonna have a really really great career. He's gonna be super useful for the Cavs. But I think what could make him really break out is if he starts getting a little more aggressive, starts going to the rim a little more. Um, when that in that uh, game that he broke out against the Hawks in February, he um, had seven free throw attempts that game. And there's been a lot of games where he gets none at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually attacking, actually driving, um, attacking closeouts instead of just shooting. Um, or passing it away, and I think, I think that's where Chetty could be good if he's going to the line and drawing fouls and trying to, trying to get free throws. He's not the best free throw shooter yet, but I think if he just shoots more of them, that percentage is going to even out. And I think especially as he improves his three point shot, I think those kinds of go to get, um, go hand in hand together. Yep. Um, he is going to become a really three dimensional player really quickly. Yeah, and I think one of the um, things you said is attacking the rim. I'm really interested to see him, as I said earlier, in that um, in that little pistol action pick and roll um, in the corner area. The, yeah. I think that's... He's not going to be your first playmaker. I think that's going to be Colin Sexton or George Hill or whoever, Jordan Clarkson even, whoever's out there. But I think if you pass him the ball on that um, fast break, he's very capable of being a secondary playmaker. And I think he showed that in Summer League. Obviously, it's not the best competition. But I think the one thing in Summer League that you can really value is playmaking because you have to do the things. It's not like you're, like you're going to make easy shots against easy competition. Like You have to still make the dribble, hit the shot, and so on. And I think, the, I think his secondary playmaking is going to really improve this year solely for the fact that he's going to have the ball in his hand more. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I, I think I think Chetty could be really good, and I, I think um, I think it was really funny. Just this summer, there was kind of a big like um, wave of fandom over him uh, right around summer league, and it just seemed like a lot of Cavs fans are super excited about him, which mm-hmm. just makes me smile. I'm so pumped yeah. about Chetty. Yeah. Um, 
I guess the, the other guy that I'm excited about is Rodney Hood. Uh, I wrote about Rodney Hood before, too. Um, just how he kind of resembles Victor Oladipo. Um, you know, Oladipo was in his uh, with high usage players in um, in his time with the Thunder with uh, Westbrook, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't necessarily have that much time to just kind of freelance the offense like he does in Indiana. And that's where Oladipo really thrives is when he's able to make his own plays. Um, when plays break down, it's not a big deal for him, but he needs that time to just be dribbling the ball and not be an off-ball um, setup player. So lots, I think Hood... There are a lot similar. Up? Westbrook and Oladipo. And they didn't yeah. realize it when they were in the Thunder, but they're quite similar players. And I don't think Rodney Hood is the same as uh, LeBron James, so much as Oladipo is similar to uh, Westbrook. Yeah. But I think James James is a very high-usage player. And Hood also had to share time with, you know, guys like Kevin Love, guys like Jordan Clarkson, who are eating up a lot of uh, a lot of time with the ball. Um, and Donovan Mitchell in Utah, exactly. And so Rodney Hood really hasn't been a primary playmaker um, in his career. And so this could be the time where he gets some of those minutes to be that primary playmaker, that first option, especially if Love is off the floor. Um, if Love gets injured, Rodney Hood might be able to shoulder that load. So I, I really think Hood could be in position to be the Cavs' um, leading scorer even ahead of Love. Mm-hmm. I think so long as Lou uh, is interested in giving him the keys to the offense sometimes, like when Love is off the floor, I, I think you could see Hood having that luxury a lot more often and um, really, really being an effective scorer, especially in the East. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, as I said with Chetty, if you get Rodney Hood in that pick and roll, he's a player that can hit. He can hit a three and a mid range, but I think he's at his best when he um, when he is um, driving to the rim and then making it up from there. And so yeah, I think if you put him in a, a lot of like situations in which he can do that, and then also it's going to be interesting to see how Ty Lu um, coaches him because obviously he had his issues in the playoffs. And, of course, um, things yeah. like that, and so there was the big issue of whether or not Rodney Hood wanted to go in the game, and so I think that's going to be really interesting to see, um, because I'm not necessarily sure how their relationship is. So, <laughs> yeah, but then he had that huge monster game in Game Three of the yeah. Finals. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Rodney Hood is back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sure, they lost, but who cares? Hood is back. <laughs> Yeah, and then I guess Zizic is the last guy to talk about. I don't necessarily see it happening for Zizic. I uh, I think he looked really great in summer league. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he looked like like he was putting up Dwight Howard numbers. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. good Dwight Howard numbers too. <laughs> yeah. And Dwight uh, on a good night. <laughs> exactly, and uh, you know he he does look like he could be a dominant post player, but it's just so hard to tell in summer league, especially with. Big. you know, sophomores, uh, you know, second-year players playing in summer league in the post. Mm-hmm. Like, they just played against some of, like, the NBA's best, like, elite big men. Like, AD is not in summer league right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. AD's going to swat so, that shot. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I think even guys like Jonas Valanciunas, even, yeah. you know, that kind of thing, like, they are not in the league. They are it's not in summer league. Until you get to Rudy Gobert and Mo Bamba. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so I, I don't know. I just don't necessarily see it happening for Zizic um, in the NBA. But, you know, he is uh, super reliable around the basket. He does not miss it no. when he shoots it. He, no. But he 
does not get a ton of opportunities to be shooting it uh, in the pros. 30 so, years ago, Zizic would have been a great player. Oh, he would have been huge. That's my, that's my take. 30 years ago, Zizic would have been an excellent NBA player. <laughs> At this point in time, when you have to have big men shooting threes and such, I'd, and not just shooting threes, but I think the big issue with Zizic is him defending point guards. He cannot stay in front of an NBA-level point guard. Like no. if, if Steph Curry or Russell Westbrook um, or John Wall even is in front of him, it's it's buckets every time, and so it's, it's not even an option. Yeah, I mean, like you pass the ball to that man, and he's gonna go get buckets. And so I think if he if he can show that he can increase um, his ability to stay in front of guards, his offensive game I don't think is an issue. I, I I'm okay with him not being able to shoot if he can get buckets in the paint like that. Like he he's insanely good in the paint. And so yeah, I think I think it's defensively. I, I I agree, and I think to I think this is where you have to have a realistic expectation of what breaking out means um, for someone like Zizic. You know, I think I think a breakout year for Zizic is he wins bench minutes in yeah. the playoffs if the Cavs make the playoffs. Oh, I um, think- if the Cavs don't make the playoffs, I think if Zizic can be a twenty minute per game off the bench guy. Um, that's a breakout year if he if he turns into that sort of role. Oh, I think um, even him getting reliable minutes, honestly, would be a breakout. Like, yeah, ten to twenty. I that's think that's fair. his range. If he can get there, <laughs> then he's had a good year. Yeah, I, I guess I, I'm just high on him because of that summer league performance. I, mm-hmm. I just want to be like, I think you can do this, but yeah. Then I get uh, I get all sobered about it and sad, and I <laughs> just realize that you know he's probably going to be he's probably a couple of years out anyways. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's young too, though. So he's got time, and I mean, he's seven feet. So even worst case scenario, he's a big body to be on the floor yeah. if he doesn't pan he's out for for right now. Yeah, exactly. He's a Moskov. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. So let's move on. How safe do you think Coach Lou's job is? This is something that I am interested, just because for every year that Coach Lou's been the coach of the Cavs, he's really just kind of been a personality coach you know he's mm-hmm. you know been the guy to yep. be the mediator between Kyrie Irving Kevin Love and LeBron James and I think now it's a totally different role for him he's going to he's exactly. basically being asked to do both things he's being asked to develop young talent while also remaining competitive which is a tough task um, especially for a coach that's always just had win now players that are coasting through the east yeah, I'm going to set my take now. I don't think Coach Lou is going to survive this rebuild. He might he Ooh. might survive this year. He might survive next year, but I don't he's not going to be with us in in 3 to 5 years. I, just, I mean, I I think that makes sense. Like uh, I think I don't you know, think it's like it's like new management almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think many coaches survive rebuilds beside Brett Brown really, but they obviously had Brett Brown and in place and specifically told him we have your trust and from our knowledge that hasn't happened with coach Lou yet <laughs> and no so, and yeah and uh what i mean by like changing management is just you know low or uh lebron left and that's almost the same as like a team getting a new owner and no longer being interested mm-hmm. in the old staff that they have you know it's kind of yeah. like what happened with the magic yeah. Um, or I think even the Suns that happened to recently where they are just, oh no, not the Suns. They still have McDonough. But um, 
like I just know when that happens to teams, I think it's just such a stressful situation because you're you don't know which way forward you want to go. Also, the guys have a new GM and um, Kobe Altman, mm-hmm. and we don't know really what he wants to do with the team. This is his first um, season. Exactly, and uh, so I, I think I think there's a lot of moving parts in this in this new Cavs team that make Coach Lou's job more precarious than it's ever been. If I was um, Coach and, Lou, I would be watching your back. Oh yeah, <laughs> because I, I mean, yeah. and, and I, I've never been a Coach Lou guy. I just mm-hmm. I don't know what he necessarily does that makes him a good coach. I don't think he's a bad coach, mm-hmm. but I I just don't know if I could point to anything off the top of my head that I would say that was a smart thing that coach Lou did. Yeah. Like even in these playoffs against um, the Celtics, he didn't put Kyle Korver in because Ojale didn't play. He was letting his rotations be dictated by semi Ojale in the conference finals. Like that just sounds crazy to me. Yeah. It's not like he's not Jason Kidd, but he's not Rick Carlisle or Greg Popovich. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think like he's not even Dwayne Casey. Who's a really great coach. You know, yeah. he, he's not even Van Gundy. I don't think, but He's he's definitely not Jeff Hornacek, and he's definitely not Jason Kidd. Yeah, I think um, the I think the sole reason we brought him in was to um, personality manage, love Kyrie, LeBron, and um, between the management with Gilbert and Griffin. And, yeah, and obviously that I think Griffin also was an, a great personality guy with um, with dealing with all of that. And it kind of shows that as soon as he left, everything, um, everything just disintegrated. And so I think the, the way that he coaches isn't necessarily built for a team that isn't in the finals every year. And so it's going to be interesting. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone this year, but I personally think he makes it solely for the fact that he's been the first coach um, to give us a championship. And that, I think, buys you at least a year. But his leash is going to be very tight. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I can kind of see him leaving this year. I like. I think there's been so much of a clear message that the Cavs want to stay competitive, mm-hmm. and I think if they get out the gate and are something like you know six and eighteen, six and twenty, I could see them firing Lou. I I don't think that's out of the question. Um, I just don't necessarily I, know who the, know who the options are. That's fair, and I think it might just be something where they get stuck with him because I, I don't really necessarily think there's a point of just... Assistant coach, maybe. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know if there's necessarily an assistant coach that I am... I don't have excited any names about. in mind from yeah. the Cavs lineup that I would be excited about. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're probably right. He probably does survive this year regardless of how they do, and it might be one of those things where... They're six and twenty, and everybody knows Lou's gone the next year unless they pick it back mm. up huge. Yeah, I think one of the things that I could see them doing is keeping Lou um, this year until until right at the end of the year when coaches start getting fired. And then, do you think seeing somebody and being like, "I want that coach, Lou, you're gone," but switch, you know? Yeah. Do, do you think Lou stays on if the Cavs don't make the playoffs? Do you think that's a a hard cut if they don't make the playoffs, Lou's gone. I don't know if Lou would want to, because obviously Lou has had. Would he want issues. to what? I don't know if Lou would want to be on a team like that. Okay. Obviously, so you think Lou might even leave himself. I think it depends. Obviously, I'm not him, and I don't know his health issues. But he had health sure. issues um, this year, and 
I think if he gets to a position in which he says, I'm not in the running for a championship right now. What's the point in this? This is destroying my body. I'm just going to leave. I could see that happening. And Very I fair. totally respect that. Yeah, I think you're right. But okay, I don't so, think he would uh, necessarily do that in the middle of a season. Because I don't no. think he's that kind of guy. Yeah, I think you're right too. And like like we were saying, who are you going to promote and who are you going to find in the middle of a season? Yeah, exactly. So let's uh, let's just keep going. Um, this is actually a question that I am super interested in. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it because uh, I think we're already about to start be going long. We're around that 45-minute range. Mm-hmm. So let's just kind of go quickly through some of the few questions that we had written down before we started the podcast. This is something I do want to talk about, though. Will Tristan Thompson be starting by the end of the season? And do you think he starts at the beginning of the season? I guess is the question before that one even comes up. But I don't think he's going to be starting at the end of the season. I think um, I would be surprised if he was, honestly. I think Larry Nance Jr. would be a better four or five for the Cavs. Yep. Um, and I think Love played center last year. Um, Love would practically be replacing Thompson, which makes sense. And then Nance Jr. would be the best four out of See, I Channing, Channing Fry or Decker. I would switch it. What I, do you think? See, I, I would switch that. I think Nance is going to start the center, and then Kevin Love is going to start the four. Interesting. Yeah. Why, why do you think that? I think, obviously, they've shown in the past that they would flip that. But just from an outside perspective, I think it's having Kevin Love at the center is just a very bad idea defensively. And I think we've shown that in the last um, in the last year. I mean, I like the idea offensively. I I just like the idea of having Nance on the floor, and I think if Nance is going to be on the floor with Kevin Love, the best way to do it is to have Nance be at the five. Yeah, I I can I can get behind that. I don't know. I just I think Lou really really likes high powered offenses. I think I think that's the thing that he's about. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think that shows just how with how the Cavs execute throughout the regular season, or at least have executed throughout the regular season. They are always a high powered three point shooting juggernaut, but on the defensive side, they've never been great. Yeah. Um, and I think that just shows where Lou's allegiances lie. Yeah. Um, so. I, I think I, I could I could totally see what you're saying where love is the four, especially without LeBron, because he's gonna be getting more elbow touches. It makes sense to keep him on the inside a little more, which I think, you know, at that four position it makes a little more sense than just stretching the offense mm-hmm. or stretching the defense as much as you possibly can. So I see what you're saying, but I, I don't know, I, I just think Lou's gonna wanna go with love at the five. And, but in either case, I think Thompson's the odd man out. And, and I think if Thompson's not starting, he's in he's in a lot of trouble because I think Zizic has a chance. We talked a little bit earlier, but like Zizic has a chance of being effective against bench units. And if if Zizic can score reliably, I think he's going to start to be more worthwhile in a second unit throughout a regular season campaign than Tristan Thompson could end up being. Yeah, I would take a little Jordan Clarkson and. Um... Ante Zizic pick and roll against a bench unit. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are guys that could le- legitimately score against weaker competition. Defensively, um, not great. I'll no, be the first one I mean, to admit that that would not be a good lineup. But 
but <laughs> but I think the Cavs are built to sustain something like that. I mean, you put Jordan Clarkson at the one, Zizic at the five, and you just fill in the middle three so with athletic wings. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you put Nawaba in there. Uh, you put um, Osman in there, yeah. and then you you toss Rodney Hood in there. Rodney Hood hasn't been the best defender, but or he's got the tools Preston. to be a good one. I yeah, really like Bill Preston. Preston. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I I think. I think there's a team that can be built like that for a second unit. I think it's something that I'd like Lou to try is just let Jordan Clarkson have the keys to the offense in the second unit. Um, granted, he had a historically bad playoffs, and I think that's kind of warped people's opinion of how effective he can be. Um, he's never been consistent, but he is only, I think he's 26 or 27. There's still time for him to, to be a good player, um, especially a good bench player. Um so I, I would like to see Jordan Clarkson maybe get a chance to run a bench unit and have that secondary option be Zizic just to bail him out if he needs someone in the post to, to get some touches. Yeah, I've kind of gone downhill on Jordan Clarkson. I think he is what he is. Um, I think in the, in the playoffs, he showed what he's going to do in the playoffs. <laughs> and so Fair. it's not going to be pretty. Regular season-wise, I don't really have an issue with him. Yeah, that, that's my point. Is like somebody's going to take the shots, and yeah, Jordan Clarkson will make him interesting. Yeah, and I think there is a part of me that has this defeatist attitude, I guess, now just because of LeBron leaving and the fact mm-hmm. that like Cavs are no longer perennial championship contender. That yep. um, I'm I'm okay with having a player who's a regular season player, quote unquote, so long as they are helping in the development of the guys I'm most excited about that being Chetty Osman, Antizizic, and uh, Colin Sexton. Yep. You know, so I think having someone like Clarkson who can soak up some bench minutes, can show guys how to score, how to be a scorer, and stuff like, um, you know, when they're not playing games and just show them how to be a professional, mm-hmm. um, a professional scorer. Yep. Um, you know, as long as Clarkson can actually do that this year, he could be an effective player. But then again, he has to actually do it, which, you know, it's always been back and forth with him. Yeah, I think also, um, I don't know if we necessarily want this, but I think Colin Sexton and Jordan Clarkson play similarly offensively. And yeah. I think that's going to be interesting to see how they, how their relationship is because, or obviously Colin Sexton, or not obviously, but I think Colin Sexton is going to be the clearly better player in the end. <laughs> And so, oh, without a doubt, I th- I hope. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> I I mean, look, I one of my biggest like strategy things I guess that I would love to see the Cavs do is play Jordan Clarkson, give him twenty minutes a game, and let him play until February, and just see which contender needs a point guard and get him out of there for a pick. I don't I don't necessarily want Clarkson to I think it'll be, be here long term, but. But I, I would I would like to see them get some value out of him. Yeah, I think it will either be that team's first this year, which because they're a contender is going to be low, or um, even a second. But I think, I mean, people get desperate. I mean, look at the Cavs. We traded almost half our team. So people get desperate and make moves. And so I could definitely see that happening. I could see that happening with a lot of um, with a lot of our guys. However. The contracts that LeBron um, and his agency, Clutch Sports, put in um, with their agent, Rich Paul, like the TT contract, which is five years, 82 million, 
and the JR, which is four year, fifty seven million. Uh, the JR contract. I I it's kind funny. of understand the Thompson one, but the JR contract I just don't get. It's it's funny actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the interesting thing I've seen about all the Cavs contracts that I've noticed in the last um, few days when looking at them, they all end in 2020. The only contracts that don't end in 2020 are Colin Anante. And that's yeah. without Rodney Hood's contracts and um, and all the guys that we're going to end up signing, like Nance and so on. But right at this current moment in time, the only contracts we have that go past 2020 are Colin Sexton and Anante Zizic. Yeah, I mean, I look at that too, and it looks like strategic planning. I mean, yeah. like, that just looks like a smart idea. Yeah. Um, you have and, to pay these guys because you wanted to keep LeBron happy. So you said, okay, we're willing to pay him to 2020. And then, but everybody ends on 2020. So when you get to 2021, you have a completely clean slate. The, the money is crazy, and the JR and TT contract is so dumb in retrospect. Mm-hmm. But I will say the like you, the one good sort of master mastermind move about it is the fact that they all ended in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, even the Kyle even Paul a guy like one. even George Hill ends in 2020, I believe yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Like even some guys they acquired. Yeah. Um, so they they were smart about knowing when to end these contracts, and the guys that are on for longer than that are the smart ones that you want to keep. Yeah. Um, they that you're interested they in keeping that are, are still young. They knew when they wanted to get out of this whole LeBron James contracts issue. And they knew that they wanted to do it in 2020. And he, I don't know if they thought that he would stay longer than that or they they might think that he would leave now. But I think they definitely thought about it. He was also going to be 35 in 2020. Like, yeah. D- yeah, I mean, they did not know if he was going to still be LeBron by then. I mean, obviously, yeah. I think this is a whole different conversation. But, I mean, who knows where, where LeBron's going to be when he's 35. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think keeping these guys until 2020 and then having them off the books for sure. Um, yeah. It's just a smart play, mm-hmm. you know, looking towards the future. Yeah. And I um, think we're going to um, obviously extend, or not obviously, but I hope extend Larry Nance in the near future. Oh. So. Um, I, all signs point to that, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, both, um, they both want to. And, um, I mean, Larry Nance obviously is from Cleveland, um, and he went to Revere High School, so I think, yeah. Oh yeah, there's a. It was a. It was a destiny forged in blood, you could say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was dumb. All right, so. Great. So I think we'll end it there because I think it's been about an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I guess the last thing that we should talk about is just the fact that we have an email address, and you should. Uh, you guys should send us question if you're if you're still listening to now. I guess we should have put that at the beginning of the podcast. Um, <laughs> but we're learning. We're figuring it out. Cool. So, and if you want to email us questions, send them to kjgpodcast at gmail.com. kjgpodcast at gmail.com. Um, there you can, yeah, you can send us questions. You can uh, critique us. You can tell us how dumb we are. Um, or you can tell us how smart we are, um, which I think we would both prefer. Uh, but yeah, we would we would love to have conversations with, uh, with anyone who's listening to us. Um, And we definitely hope to be putting out more episodes. Yeah. Okay. See you guys. Yeah. Bye.